Welcome friends, it's so good to have you joining us today and I want to wish every single one of you a super blessed 2021. 2020 was a crazy year, we're still in the midst of a whole lot of stuff going on, but I want to say this, God is still on the throne, His purposes have not changed, His nature has not changed. It's one of the reasons we start in the year with this series, Awesome God, to know who our awesome God is, His nature, that when everything around us seems to be falling apart, He never does. God never changes. He's our hope. He's the one we hold on to. And I pray that this year you will find Him being your source of blessing, breakthrough, strength, your refuge and your fortress. And I bless you this year. I bless your loved ones that this would be a year of you growing closer to Him and becoming more like Him. Amen. Now today I get to share with you the third name of God. And, and we've got a six-part series that we're doing to start the year off. Awesome God. And our whole approach is to see encounters that people have with God throughout Scripture that reveal a unique revelation of His name and His nature. And you may remember that on the first Sunday of the year, Pastor Simon shared on God being known as Yahweh. I am. When Moses said to him, who shall I say you send to me? God said, tell them I am Yahweh. Translated most commonly as Lord, the Lord. Also, also translated as Jehovah. He is the Lord. He is I am. He is Yahweh. And coming out of that, Pastor Sammy, Samantha did such a great job last Sunday. Well done, Samantha, um, on just sharing on how God revealed himself to Gideon as Jehovah Shalom. The Lord, the God who is our peace, the God of peace. And it was such a great word. If you missed that, I really do encourage you to go and listen or watch that video that is on our YouTube channel. Today, we're going to encourage ourselves with another awesome name, revealing the awesome nature of our awesome God found in Genesis chapter 16. So let's pray. Let's trust God that he's going to minister to you and bless you as you share this moment with us. Father, I thank you for every person watching right now. I ask that your presence would fall in this place right now. I ask that your presence would fall wherever they are, whatever hall, whatever room, whatever place they are, let your presence fall. Fill us again. Your word said, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who just ask? Father, would you give more of your Holy Spirit to us as we ask this morning? I ask for more of your presence. I ask for your revelation that we're not just sharing about who you are, but that you would reveal yourself to every person watching. I give myself to you as an instrument of yours, that, that you would use my voice, you'd use what I share today to encourage, to set free, and to uplift through the power of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, the story today that we climb into is the story of Abraham and Sarai. Uh, many of you know the story of Abraham. We, we know him as Abraham. Later, God changed his name. He changed Sarai's name to Sarah. Uh, Abraham means exalted father. And God eventually changed his name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. And now... I want to give you some background before we jump into Genesis 16. So if you want to look up, open your Bibles to Genesis 16, you're welcome to do that. Um, but let me give you some background for those of you who don't know the full story of Abraham and Sarai, who were renamed Abraham and Sarah later. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham. He's already said to Abraham, you and Sarai leave. I'm going to take you to a new land, leads them into the land of Canaan. And he stands there in Canaan and he says to Abraham, Abraham, I am going to make of you a great nation. Now, at this point, Abraham and Sarai have no children. Later on in Genesis 12, he says, Abraham, I'm going to give this land not just to you, but to all of your offspring. 
By Genesis 13, remember in a chapter, it's many years that pass. We read a few verses, but many years pass in the Bible in a short time frame that we read it in. And, and so quite a bit later in Genesis 13, Abraham and Sarai still have no children. And God calls Abraham and he says, come out here, Abraham. I want you to look at the dust of the earth. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if anyone could count the dust of the earth, they would be able to count your offspring. Just as no one can count the dust, no one would be able to count Abraham's offspring. Now, Genesis 15, years later, Abraham and Sarai still don't have any children. So Abraham eventually says to God, listen, God, I tell you what, since we don't have any children, uh, what about that relative of mine? He can become my heir. And God says to him, no, Abraham, your very own son will be your heir. And he brings him outside and he says, look toward heaven and look at the stars. Can you number the stars? Are you able to number them? And he said, just as you are not able to number the stars, so shall your offspring be. No one will be able to number them. And it says after these three times that God promises it to him, that Abraham then believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham now believes. Abraham is in faith. God has told me I'm going to have a son of my own. And then we get to Genesis 16. Quite a bit later, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. So he's got the promises. How many times have we received promises from God or read things in his word or been praying and claiming things or trusting for things? And it just seems to take a long time to come to pass. And God wants us to persevere through these times, to trust him through these times. Sarai, on the other hand, is getting impatient. She doesn't want to wait. She wants to make this promise come to pass now. And it tells us in verse 1 of Genesis 16 that she has an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she says to Abraham, listen, the Lord has kept me from having children. Why don't I give you my slave? You go sleep with my slave and perhaps I can have a family through her. Now, that might sound a little weird to us today. But in the culture of the day, this was a cultural practice that if a wife wanted to bear children she couldn't bear or bear more children than she had born, she could give her servant to her husband and any children of the servant would be considered the wife's children as well. And so it was culturally practiced. She says to Abraham, listen, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you my servant and whatever children she might have with you can be considered my offspring. So Abraham agrees to what Sarah says. And in verse three, after he's been living there 10 years, Sarai takes her Egyptian slave, Hagar, gives her to his, her husband as his wife. So Abraham sleeps with Hagar. She conceives. And when she knows she's pregnant, and after so many years, Sarai was not pregnant, she begins to despise her mistress. So Sarai comes to Abram. Abram, you are responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me, Abram, you bad man. I don't know, this sounds very unfair, but we don't know everything that was going on. The Bible summarizes a whole lot of stuff into just a few sentences. So Abram... <laughs> He looks at his wife, Sarai, and he says, okay, tell you what, she's your servant. You do with her whatever you think best. And the Bible tells us that Sarai then mistreats Hagar so harshly that she has no option but to flee. Hagar runs away. And Hagar runs into the desert, and she's sitting in the desert. She finds a little place where there's water, a little spring with a little well there. And she's sitting down there. And thinking, what on earth is going on? While she's there, verse 7, the angel of the Lord appears to her 
finds Hagar near the spring in the desert beside the road of Shur, and he says to her, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Easy question to answer. But then he says, and where are you going? Her answer is, I am running away from my mistress Sarai. She's treating me so badly. The angel of the Lord. Now, let me just say this. When the Bible in the Old Testament talks about the angel of the Lord, many times it is referring to God himself appearing. Just like Sammy shared last week, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and it was the Lord himself appearing in the flesh. And so many times what is called a theophany, God appearing in the flesh is referred to in the Old Testament many times as the angel of the Lord. So this could have been God himself appearing to her as opposed to just an angel. And the angel of the Lord says to her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. God doesn't always tell us to do easy things, does he? And then he adds, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Does that sound familiar? So he's made this promise to Abraham. But he has another son from Abraham who's not through the line of promise, not from Sarai, but he says, I'm going to bless this one too. Then he says to her, so, Hagar, you're now pregnant and you're going to give birth to a son. And you might have thought that Hagar or Abraham had called the son Ishmael, but no, it was the Lord who named him. He said, I, the Lord, name him and you shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. We'll share a little bit later what Ishmael means. And so that brings us to her response, which is the name of God and this part of God's nature that we want to look at today. She then gives this name to the Lord who spoke to her and said, you are El Roi, you are the God who sees me. El Roy, the God who sees me. El is one of the terms for God, like El Elyon and, and, and Elohim. And so we see that she says, you are the God who sees me, for I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well there, which she then called Beer Lahai Roy. Beer is the, the Hebrew word for well. This wasn't like she was trying to drown her sorrows in a well of beer. Beer is the name for the well. And she called the name of this well something much better than beer. Lahai Roi. It is the living one who sees me that solves my problems. We're sometimes tempted to go look for other ways of solving our problems like beer and other things. I can encourage you. It is only the living one who sees you that can help you in your problems. That's just an aside. So in verse 15, she goes back. Hagar bears Abraham a son. Abraham names him Ishmael as the God had commanded. And it's fascinating and it's interesting that much later, after Abraham had even died, this particular well, Bielaharoi, is a place that the son of promise, Isaac, ends up settling. Abraham's dead. Isaac now starts his family. Isaac, as the son of promise, goes and settles near Bielaharoi, the son of promise, in a place where God made a promise to Hagar. We might think, well, hang on, Isaac and Ishmael, they were always at enmity with one another. Those two nations, both of them had 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes both became enemies. But God knew what he was doing because through the son of promise, through Isaac, the promise was that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would eventually redeem every nation on earth, including Ishmael. Carol might share a bit more on that next week, so that's not the part of my message I want to focus on. I want to focus on El Roy, the God who sees me. God stepped into a crumbling world where she must have felt, man, alone and hopeless. Just picture what it must have felt like. She's a servant girl and she's done everything required. It must have felt so unfair. This is so unjust. And no one sees. No one cares. It's just me out here in the middle of the desert. 
just me at this well. I don't know how long I'm going to last. Alone and hopeless, life is so unfair. No one sees, no one cares. And God appears to her and he shows her, hey God, you're not alone. I see you. I'm here for you. We can all relate to times that we felt like Hagar. Uh, <laughs> the story encourages us that God sees us. God is there for us when we face similar challenges and emotions. And so I want to look at three things that she experienced that we can be encouraged from in this story. Firstly, God sees you when you feel alone and hopeless. Consider this, friends. Hagar, both Abraham and Sarai had rejected her. No longer wanted her around. She's a servant. She has no rights. She has no powerful protectors. She has no relationships that come to her aid. She's totally alone. If her mistress and her master deal with her harshly or send her away, there's nothing she can do. It's hopeless. She's all alone. She fled. She finds herself in the desert. She has no property. She has no food. She has no resources. She has nowhere to go. She's pregnant with a child she didn't ask for. It seems hopeless. What is my future? Have any of you ever felt like that? <laughs> I have. Maybe some of you feel like that right now. Man, we've gone through a tough year and we're still in the midst of difficulties right now. Some of you have lost income, lost business, lost loved ones, lost relationships. We're in a place where many are right now feeling alone and hopeless. Friends, no matter what you're feeling, if you're in a place just like Hagar finds herself some of you might feel insignificant. Everything seems lost. Is it hopeless? We ask ourselves questions like, where are you, God? Have you ever asked that? God, where are you? It just seems like in my situation right now, God, I don't feel you. I don't see you. Where are you? Do you care? Why are you allowing this? Where is my hope? In fact, for someone like Hagar, if God didn't step in and help her, no one would have. She had no one else. She had nothing else. She must have been feeling who and what I am doesn't matter to anyone. But God steps in and he looks her in the eye and he says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, I see you. And I'm going to ask you a question. Where have you come from and where are you going? Now, she couldn't answer where she was going because like many of us, we find ourselves in a place where we put in more effort into running away from our problems and our past than pursuing his promises and purposes. Can you relate to that? Where are you going? I'm just running. I, I'm getting out of there. I, I don't want to go back. We've left 2020 behind. I just want to get out of 2020. Where are you going, Andrew? I'm, I'm, I'm heading out of 2020. God, I don't want to go back to that. I, I don't want to go back to some of the stuff that happened in my past. I'm running away from my problems. And God says, you know, running away never gets you anywhere. He always visits you in that place. And he says, let me rather give you promises and purposes that you can pursue. So God visits her. In that place, he gives her a promise and a purpose to help her persevere with his presence. Who she was mattered to him. She may have felt like the writer of Psalm 10, and some of you might have felt like that too. Psalm 10, it starts with, why, Lord, are you so far away? Ever said that? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Ever said that? Uh, no hands. Don't have to raise your hand. Just show me a big toe. I see those big toes. Verse 13. Why do the wicked get away with what they do? Why do the wicked say to themselves, God doesn't see, he doesn't hold me to account. And then verse 14, the truth hits us. But you, God, you see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and you take it in hand. You take care of them. The victims can commit themselves to you. You are a helper 
to the fatherless or a father or defender to the fatherless. Friends, God sees you when you feel alone and hopeless. Who you are matters to him. You can commit yourself to him. He is a helper to those who feel helpless. And then secondly, can you imagine how unfair this must have felt to her? Abram and Sarai were the ones who told her what to do. She didn't choose. She didn't go and commit adultery with her mistress's husband. Her mistress said, you go. I give you. You need to go sleep with my husband. Here she is. They devised the scheme that led to her rejection. She didn't ask to bear Abram's child. She didn't disobey her mistress. She did what she did in obedience to what she was told. Now, although she's been taken as Abram's wife, culturally, as we shared, the child would have been considered Sarai's child. But it still says that when she knew she was pregnant and she saw Sarai obviously couldn't have children, she despised her mistress. We don't know what that despising looked like. She don't, we don't know how she acted out on it. She may have started to feel more special. Either way, friends, the treatment she received would have felt entirely unfair and unjust. Again, she would have probably been asking, is there anyone who sees how unjustly I've been treated? This isn't fair, but no one's going to take my side. No one sees my side of the story. God, do you see how unfairly I've been treated? I know I've felt like that sometimes in my life. Have you? Have you felt at times where life just seems so unfair or you've been treated unjustly? Maybe some of you are in that place right now. What are the questions that you were asking or that you are asking? God sees when it feels unfair. God sees you when life feels unfair. And he appears to her and he says, Hagar, I see you. And you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to name that son Ishmael for the Lord has not just seen you, but he's heard you. He's heard your misery. What does the name Ishmael mean? Ishmael means the God who hears. Isn't this a great passage? It tells us that in the midst of all of this trouble, in the midst of this rejection, in the midst of this suffering, God appears and says, I'm the God who sees and I'm the God who hears. I see you. I hear you. And not only that, I'm with you. He didn't say it from far away, a loud voice echoing through the universe. He appeared right there. He said, I'm with you. He heard her cry and her misery. Friends, let me say this, and you all know this. If, if you are old enough to be watching this video, you know that life this side of heaven will not always be fair. It will not always be just. But God is. God is always fair. He is always just. And He is our refuge. One of my favorite verses in times of trouble is Psalm 46 verse 1. It says, God is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. That means, yes, we will have times where we experience trouble, but He will always be with us. Trouble won't always be with you, but God always will be. So learn to hide in Him as your refuge when we're experiencing things like this. Learn to pull into Him and He goes, I know what you're feeling. Let me strengthen you. Let me speak truth to you. Don't listen to the lies that come from the storm. Don't let the storms of life steal your joy. Let me speak truth to you. Let me give you an eternal perspective. Let me show you how I'm using these things to make you more like me. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Nothing can take that away from me. I can find joy in the midst of my journey. And then thirdly, God sees you when no one else sees. Hagar. She's an insignificant slave girl. She has no powerful friends, no family. She felt as if what she was going through was completely unseen by anyone else. Completely unseen. 
No one saw her. No one cared. Her life and her actions may have felt meaningless. If I do what's right, no one sees or cares. If I do what's wrong, who's going to notice? And now that she's run away and she's all alone, would it even matter what she chooses to do, right or wrong? What does it matter? No one sees. What I do doesn't matter. Let me say this, friends. The third point I want to make. God sees you when no one else does. What you do matters to Him. What you do can make a difference. In fact, your righteous choices have an impact, whether people see or not. The angel or God speaks to her and says, I'm going to give you an instruction. I'm going to give you a purpose. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Later, he then gives her a promise to help her to persevere. Now, her obedience to go back into a difficult situation like that, uh, that she would rather have run away from, may not have felt easy or comfortable. That's not the choice she would have wanted to make. Very often, God gives us choices that are difficult, but he says, do what's right and I will bless you. There's the easy way and then there's the right way. (laughs) I've heard someone say that. You know, not only does she go back, not only does she obey God and make the difficult choice, but sometimes we say, okay, God, I will obey you. Then you're going to bless me. Then it's all going to work out. It's all going to be fine. And she goes back, but it doesn't all turn out fine. In fact, a few chapters later, when Isaac is born and Isaac is wind, she gets sent back in again and booted out of the family. The tensions remained. But she chose to obey God and his promise and his presence kept her in the midst of that. She didn't see the fruit immediately. She didn't even see the promise where he said, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. She didn't see that promise established until many decades later. When her son eventually marries, she doesn't even see all the 12 tribes. All we know is she chooses to obey. And that act of obedience leads to something significant. God sees everything, even when no one else does. He sees even what is done in secret. Jesus said this, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The Bible tells us that everything that is done in secret will be made open. Good or bad, we're all going to have to give an account. But friends, I'm talking about the good today. God sees what you are doing. The times that it's in secret and you just choose to do what's right when no one else is seeing you. Where you choose to obey Him when it's difficult and tough and no one else seems to pay you any attention or pat you on the back. Not everyone gets to do things that are seen and celebrated by the crowds. But let me tell you this. If you choose to do what God tells you to do, then every one of you gets to do things in Him that will make an eternal difference and help expand His kingdom. Don't underestimate your contribution just because it's not seen as much as others or it doesn't seem as significant. How many of you enjoy soccer? And even if you don't, this is a great example, a great illustration. In a soccer game, most people know the name of the person who scores all the goals. We could probably list a whole bunch of guys that we know, well, they're famous goal scorers. But they get all the praise, they get all the recognition, everyone sees that one. What about the person who defended when the others came? Defended well, got the ball out to the midfielder, that midfielder who took that ball through and passed it to the goal scorer and set up the shot for him. Those guys were essential in scoring the goal, but they often don't get the recognition. But it matters. It matters. God sees. God rewards. Your contributions will either sometimes not be seen and others may get the credit and the glory, but God sees and you will get the reward. But you must understand something else. It's not just about reward. What you do today can have a multi-generational impact. You may not see 
the rewards or the blessings or the fruit of the good and the righteous deeds that you choose to do now, God sees. And it may have a multi-generational impact that will only be seen at the end of time. Abraham was promised a nation. In his lifetime, all he saw was a son. But he kept on doing what God told him to do. God sees when no one else does. What you choose to do makes a difference. And then I want to wrap up in verse 13, just to encourage you on this name, Elroy. After God's revealed these things to her, in verse 13, it says that she gives God this name. You are the God who sees me. And many times I've heard Christians, I mean, I minister to a lot of people going through stuff and they say, well, I know God sees me, but he doesn't seem to care. It feels like he sees me from a distance or, you know, it doesn't feel like he's hearing me. God is not just seeing or hearing from a distance. This word roi comes from the Hebrew root word for shepherd. In other words, it's not just saying, oh, I see. Oh, I hear. Yeah. It's saying, I'm like a shepherd. <laughs> How does a shepherd see? And yeah, it's like a shepherd watching over his flock, listening for their bleatings. I see, I hear, so that I can care and respond to your needs. And not only that, friends. Elroy may have revealed himself to her. He would have been with them. But we who are in Christ, you have an advantage in this life far greater than Abraham, Sarai, Hagar. In fact, any of God's people in the Old Testament, we have something that is far greater than them. The great shepherd Jesus lives inside of us. His presence is with us 24-7. We don't just have a visitation now and then. He is constantly with us. His presence is with us. So no matter what you are experiencing in this journey, you can have joy in your journey. You can practice praise in His presence as we persevere into seeing His promises. Amen. So remember this as you go from this place today. I don't know how you're feeling. Whether you feel alone, hopeless, life's unfair, no one sees me. I want you to hear this. God sees and cares when you feel alone and hopeless. Who you are matters to Him. God sees and cares when your life feels unfair. What you're experiencing, going through, matters to Him. God sees and cares when it seems like no one else does. And what you are doing when no one else is seen makes a difference. What you choose. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I thank you that you as El Roy and also the one who years, as you named Ishmael, you see and hear every person where they're at right now as they're watching. You see their struggles. You see where they might feel alone, where there might be hopelessness, where they might feel like things are just unfair or unjust, where it seems like no one else is seeing them or coming to their aid. I release right now the presence of the Good Shepherd into their hearts. I want you to just close your eyes right now, and I want you to just allow His presence to come and fill you because we don't serve a God who was written about thousands of years ago. He's alive. He's with you right now. My Lord and my God, El Roy, I ask you that you would see these ones and reveal yourself to them. That just as Hagar said, for I have seen the one who sees me. I pray that you'd reveal yourself to them. I pray that they would feel the comfort of the one who is their refuge, their fortress, the God who is my ever-present help in times of trouble. 
And that, Lord, we wouldn't just focus on then what's going on around us. We'd focus on the fact that you are with us. You are in us. You are enabling us. And everything that comes against us, we're able to rise up. We're able to say, I can have the joy of the Lord be my strength. The peace of God, Jehovah Shalom, surrounds me. The God of all grace gives me grace right now to be more like him, to build his kingdom, to pursue his purposes and his promises. And I release that into every life right now. And if you're watching today and you're not in Christ, you haven't received this God, you haven't chosen to receive the promise given to Abraham, which was the Messiah would come through his line and bless all nations. That Messiah is Jesus. If you have not received him, I want to give you an opportunity right now. And I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Just say, Heavenly Father, you created the heavens and the earth. You created me. And I choose today to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, forgive me for living life my way. Forgive me for living contrary to how you want me to live. I ask you to come and fill me now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me and enable me to live the life you created me for. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you gave your life to Jesus and got right with him today, I'm going to ask you to click the link that is allowing us to contact you. And we want to get you some materials and we want to pray with you. So please don't just pray that prayer alone. God sees, but we want to see as well. We want to walk with you. Friends, I hope that this word has encouraged you as you take the time of consecration this week as we pray and fast. Get into the presence of El Roy. No matter what is going on around you, you pull yourself into the God who is your refuge. You encourage yourself in Him and you come out strong in your spirit, man. And I tell you what, we're going to see a year of revival. We're going to see a year of change. We're going to see a year where an army of light rises up and shows the world what we can do with the God who created it. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Amen.